Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1989. The album is Bad News. The artist is Bad News, a.k.a. Uh, Rick Mayall. Ooh, let's get everybody's names. They're real names. Uh, <laughs> so we got Alan Metcalf, uh, Nigel Planer, Rick Mayall, and Peter Richardson. Uh, and my guest is Jeff Morris, who is Dr. Demento's historian and archivist. Thank you for being here, man. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so... This I, here's the thing. I feel like I have I had heard about this few years ago, and then I kind of totally forgot to look up more about it. This is a this was a basically a rockumentary that was being recorded at the exact same time that Spinal Tap was being filmed, and is all legit English guys. And because it's English, and because it didn't get a huge theatrical release, most Americans have no idea what it is. Right, and and, and if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know every bit of the history, and I wish I did, but if I'm not mistaken, this happened the year before Spinal Tap. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I don't know if the Spinal Tap people knew of it and just independently had the same idea, or, you know, or, or they took their cue from this. I'm right. Sure. There are, I, I, I mean, in terms of, like, you know, accents, attitudes, and the way they're poking fun at music, they are very similar. And it's also, there's a lot on this this album, which is the Rhino, the Rhino re-release, I guess, two years after sort of the original or one year after. It's, it's a little confusing as to how, how they were released, but there's a lot of improv, or at least improv-sounding stuff on this. Yeah, that's one thing I wonder is, I, I wonder how much of this was scripted, and how much of it was improv, because it certainly sounds very improv, but who knows? Yeah, right. And, and there are a few times, I mean, at the very least, there are a few times when, like, there is, there's a laugh that you that you would not have put in there if you were straight acting, where they're like, oh, you can hear one of them, like, clearly playing for the other one or pulling a face, making the other one laugh like an idiot, which is kind of kind of great. And I really liked, I liked the feel of this, because it's kind of not dissimilar to what we expect from a good comedy podcast now, like even if they're improvising, like you like this kind of like slight pulling you out of the reality, which I, I, I enjoy, although it does feel like as expected, um, Rick Mayall seems to be able to keep a straight face the whole time. Cause he was a little crazy. <laughs> Rick Mayall. I know better as either drop dead Fred or from the young ones. Uh, he's the, uh, Colin. And the din Dennis is Nigel Planer. Mm-hmm. Who was also in the young ones as Neil. And then what are the other two? Uh, the other two are Alan Metcalf, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. No help there. And Peter Richardson. Again, also another okay, name. Okay, Peter Richardson then must be Spider-Webb. And yes. Alan Metcalf would be Vim Fuego because yes. he does, uh, uh, one or more of the guys refer to him as Alan on occasion <laughs> on the album. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, I think he's kind of like, well, no, my name is Vim Fuego <laughs> in this, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's really funny. Uh, so, like, yeah. if, if you haven't heard it, uh, you know, it, obviously it's definitely worth a listener. We wouldn't be discussing it. Uh, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like discussing the making of the music, and then there's a lot of music uh, closer to the end, including I think the thing that it seems they're best known for, which is a really upsetting cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, I think that is that 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 video did get played on MTV. It, at least once during the Dr. Demento countdown. I don't know if it got played outside of that. It might have. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, one of the best parts, though, is that like if you listen to that, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's you can tell that it's it's talented musicians trying to sound insane. And, but it's produced by Brian May. So you can't, you, you know, 
you can't discount exactly it. from Queen. So. Yeah, it's oh, it's really wonderful. Um, so when did you first hear this album? Yeah, so the way I got into this was uh, Dr. Demento played the track "Cashing In on Christmas" mm -hmm. on uh, November twenty sixth, nineteen eighty nine, which this really has nothing to do with anything, but that happened to be the last show aired by WLRS, which is the station I was listening to at okay, that time. Okay, okay. Didn't hear the show for for a while after that, but uh, that's the only time he's ever played anything from this album. Uh, but it, it was, and a friend of mine who's a huge fan of this album as well, he said, you know, cashing in on Christmas, he's like, that is the, like the lamest track on the album. <laughs> it's, it's not that exciting, though. it's not that funny, but it was funny enough, and the attitude behind it was funny enough, that, that and I knew that they had this album out, just that I thought, oh, I'll buy the album and, you know, see what the rest of the album is like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you, uh, what is your favorite? Is that still your uh, a track that you love, or do you have a, a new favorite? Oh, I don't. I have no. I don't have any favorites on no, this album. No. I mean, the whole album. It, I always listen to the whole album at once. I don't choose tracks. It's just to me, it's like a whole stream of whatever. Uh, it's one of the few records I can think of that I'm pretty sure every single time I hear it, I laugh at, yeah. at some point. It's uh, it's like, really it, tight. I mean, uh, short tracks for one, but also like it just I don't know. There's just something about the way that they riff and the way they edited it together, or they're either that or they're just really good at keeping their improv short. But uh, yeah, it's a really tight album. Yeah, and yeah, and the way just the, yeah the way they banter back and forth with each other, they're just always it's, oh my god. Hang on a second. Uh, no problem. No problem. You know, this is, I, I think this is Barry, actually. Uh, hello? Anyway, so sorry about that interruption, but <laughs> no, I did no, have no. to take... <laughs> that is the most appropriate interruption for this podcast ever, so it's absolutely exactly. fine. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so what we were, were we talking, talking? We were talking about, like, uh, well, first of all, we were talking about if you have a favorite track, but you don't, and it, we were talking about what a tight album this is, and, you know, where where you first heard it, obviously, but we, we went over that, and we were talking about you know that uh, Brian right not to mention how tight him. their trousers are exactly. if they're wearing them <laughs> um that's another check on the app <laughs> that's the other thing too so i mean i guess some of the things that they're they're parodying or satirizing are the things that i think any good comedian would notice about rock and roll and so it does it feels like parallel thinking to me even though there are a couple things where it's like like you said on the uh, the the album the the insert when you when you open the the gatefold you can see that they're wearing only underwear but they've got stuff strapped in there so like the the cucumber bit is very obviously they did a cucumber bit in Spinal Tap too. Oh, I totally forgot that. I know this album much better than I know Spinal Tap. Sure, sure. I've seen Spinal Tap a time or two, but this is to me this is to me this is much better than Spinal Tap. But that may just be because. I knew it first. Sure, no, it, that that's what happens. I mean, I for me only because I grew up with Spinal Tap, it's kind of the same thing. But also, I haven't heard this whole album yet, and it, that's full disclosure for the audience at home. It's been a very, <laughs> a very busy set of weeks because of the Million McFly March. That said, like I I want to keep listening to this to the point where it's like, man, this is made at the same time. It's kind of the same attitude, and I I'm it, it grew on me very quickly. Okay, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And now there is also an accompanying video of this, mm -hmm. and I don't know the full story behind when the video was done versus when the album was done. Mm -hmm. Or there, well, there were multiple records in England. There's just the one over here, mm -hmm. and uh, 
I've only watched the video once, I think, and, and I was not as entertained by the video, nearly as entertained by the video as I was by the album, but I guess some of the jokes are the same, and I was like, okay, well, I've already heard that joke. Yeah, I don't right. know, I need to watch the video again, but the video is not what we're reviewing here. So. Right, no, but that, that makes sense, and uh, that also kind of answers the questions too, question, too, is like, all right, did they? it answers part of the question. Obviously, they had a plan for some of the bits that they did, and they're like, well, this was in the thing, let's put it on the album but they're different versions, right? It sounds like it's a different, specially made for the album, like the in-between stuff, the in-between the song stuff. I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah. so here's my understanding of what happened. Sure. And, and I've tried to figure this out over the years, and I, I still don't really know the full story, but mm -hmm. I believe that there was a six-track EP released in the UK, and I, I think that's what the, the lyric insert that comes with the LP uh, has uh, six tracks on it, so I'm pretty sure that's the six tracks that were on the British okay, album, okay. Fish EP. Uh, and I thought that was maybe around 83, but I could be wrong, because I thought this actually happened before the young ones, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, then later, I think in 1987, but again, not 100% sure, they released an album in the UK called Bad News Bootleg, uh -huh. which was supposedly the recording sessions that made that previous ah, album. Ah, okay. I'm pretty sure these aren't the actual recording sessions, that they're just, you know, improvs that they put together, you know, right. to make it. But, uh, and, and, but, you know, to me, that stuff is much more hilarious than the songs themselves. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they're good, they're well-produced, obviously, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're improv or whatever these are, is they're just fantastic to listen to. Especially yeah. since uh, uh, who who is it? Sorry, the again, I'm I'm just getting used to the characters, but uh, one of them's got just an ex I think it's Spider Web has an excessively kind of posh sound, not posh, but posher than the other guy's accent. It just sounds so out of place. It's it's really fantastic. Well, and, and Colin also uh, has a thing. Well, Spider uh, is kind of uh, yeah, he he kind of has uh, maybe a a, a slightly uh, maybe it's well, actually maybe it's slightly Keith Keith Moonish kind of voice. Mm, yeah, that's something. true. Yeah, uh, but Colin Colin uh, Colin thinks that he's better than the rest of them. Mm -hmm. Let's say that way, and, and so he thinks that he's kind of the intellectual of the group. And in fact, there's a, there's a there's one of the tracks that's actually not on the Rhino LP, but there's one where where he says. You know, I'm the only one of us who who can string together more than two or three of the of the of, of what do they call words <laughs> together into a coherent sentence. <laughs> but he can't remember the word for words as oh he's saying God, it. So, so it's like a ironic take on that. And then uh, you know, and then Den, who's uh, Nigel Planer, also known as Neil on the Young Ones, uh, seems to be kind of the uh, kind of the the dunce of the group, I guess, if you will, uh, uh, and, uh, and then Vim Fuego, which is Alan, uh, was it Metcalf? Mm-hmm, that's right. Alan Metcalf, uh, and so he's the leader of the group, and he also, of course, thinks that he's better than everybody, or more important than everybody, because sure. he's the leader, and he's the lead singer, and, uh, you know, there's, so there's several bits about that, where they're bickering back and forth about that, but... You know, they they really don't get along together well as a you know in in their characters. Right, right. Um, do, okay, so we we talked about when you first heard this. Have you gone out of your way then to expose friends to it? Like, have you said, oh, 
uh, maybe people who've already heard Spinal Tap, you're like, no, you need to listen to this. Yes, yes. Anybody who's, who's a fan of Spinal Tap, I have to tell them about this. Now, I never force anybody to listen to anything, uh, you sure. know, uh, because my thing is kind of like if somebody tells me uh, I really am going to enjoy something and I have to listen to something, I, I probably don't like it as much in the end yeah, as, sure. as if I came across it naturally by myself. But I will mention it to people. I'm like, you know, if you want to listen to it, I'm happy to loan it to you, know. Sure. Um, so that's the way I work those those kind of things. But, yeah. Now, so you talk about I I want to go back just a bit to it must have been I won't I don't want to use I'm not going to put words in your mouth but it must have been kind of a big deal for you the guy who is now Dr. Demento's archivist it must have been a big deal for you for your local radio station to no longer carry his show. Oh yeah. Yes, that definitely frustrated me and uh I called well no I wrote them I guess. Uh and well most frustrating part about it to me was that it was uh, just a month before the end of the year, and all year I had been keeping track of the Funny Fives, and I was going to use a point system to try to determine the Funny 25 at the end of the year, not knowing that it was, in fact, the exact same way that they do determine the Funny 25. <laughs> uh, that's Musical Mike's system, which uh, uh, now Demento does on his own. But So I had been keeping track of them all year, and then I'm like, oh, no, you're going to cut this off just oh. five weeks before. Or the the final show, and uh, they actually wrote me back and said, "Well, uh, we're still getting the LPs, even though we're not airing them. So if you want a, a copy of that last show, we'll just give you the LPs when it comes in." Wow! <laughs> like, whoa! First of all, I was shocked that it was distributed on LP. That yep. kind of floored me. I had assumed it was tape or satellite. Or sure. Something. Actually, it was also on satellite. But uh, then to actually have the actual LP that would have been on the radio, I just thought that was just That's too much. That's crazy. And, it was an, and I got it about a week and a half before the air date. So I was like, oh, this is just so insanely exciting to me. Wow. Uh, so uh, how many of those, I mean, can you even estimate how many of those might be sitting out there? I mean, I'm sure you know how many you might have sitting around. But, like, is that those have got to be a severe rarity, right? Uh, well, for any given episode of the show i would say there's i would guess between 100 and 200 copies uh but did they but get destroyed or all... chucked like i mean what happened to them i mean were they sold just like a, a demo record would be yeah well you know theoretically mm -hmm. uh, they were to have been destroyed yeah and i would imagine some did get destroyed thrown away or whatever but mm -hmm. i think a number of stations either kept them or the DJs took them home yeah. or whatever. I found out, uh, well, the following year, uh, I was in The Great Escape in Louisville, which is a record and comic book store, mm -hmm. and uh, they had a whole bunch of copies of the LPs of the show, which obviously That's came amazing. from WLRS, the same station that gave me that one episode, and I, I, you know, I asked them, well, can I get any more, you know? <laughs> well, it turned out, I guess they must have had a whole library full of them, which they then sold to Great Escape, wow. which is not the, they shouldn't have done that, sure. you know, their contract not to do that, but uh, anyway, so <laughs> I, I picked up some from Great Escape myself based on that, but. Wow, that is, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Those but did... didn't have any playlists with them. Oh, sure, <laughs> yeah, so, that makes sense. Because I guess those probably went in their logbooks or something. So, uh, so I didn't know what was on each one, and and I had recorded parts of the show 
not full shows. So I had to go back to kind of my tape list and the order in which I recorded things and start estimating what week would this have been on to try to determine which show was going to have what I was interested in because I couldn't just buy them all. I didn't have the money to buy them. And uh, I guess you could say that was, in a a way, a genesis of what is now the playlist archive that I have on my site. Yeah. Now, when did, well, first, I guess then, uh, when did you first make contact with Dr. Demento? Um, So uh, that happened in a few phases. Uh, The first time uh, that I got a letter back from him was probably 1992. Okay. At least that's when we started, we kind of struck up a regular correspondence in 1992. It's possible I got a letter a couple years before that, just a one-off. But in 1992, I started writing him regularly, and he would respond. And uh, then the first time I talked to him on the phone was March 1st, 1996. And the first time I met him in person was uh, June uh, 29th or 30th of 97 mm-hmm. uh, when I picked him up at the airport when he was uh, coming to uh, Indianapolis. It was uh, June 30th, actually, um, when he was coming to uh, Indianapolis to do a, a performance. He was on his way. He had done a performance the weekend before in uh, New York or somewhere in that area. I believe it was New York. And then he had one in Indianapolis the following weekend, and he, he thought, well, instead of flying all the way back to California and then all the way back out, uh, he said, you know, could, could I maybe crash with you one night? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you can crash with me as many nights as you want. Right. Uh, so he actually he actually stayed with me uh, three or four nights, and, uh, and I said, you know, while you're out here, uh, you, you're going to be gone for a week, you're going to need to do a show, right? So I have a recording studio, so why don't we do a show in my studio? So... He said, okay, that sounds good. So That's we amazing. did that and all kinds of other stuff. He did a record signing. He did a, a talk at Indiana University, which is where I work, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, some other events. He, I took him up to the Bob and Tom show on, uh, I believe that was on Thursday, July 3rd, if I recall correctly. Um, now, and, I, I have to ask, are, is, your, is your encyclopedic knowledge of dates just a natural thing that you have about everything, or is it only stuff related to Dr. Demento? It's everything. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) It is. That's just the way my brain is organized chronologically, basically. Yeah. That's, Uh, God, that's so perfect. Yeah, it is. It is, isn't it? I guess if I'm going to make a a, a site with the dates of uh, broadcasts on it, I suppose that does work (laughs) out well. I didn't really think of it that way. But, yeah, that's, I don't know. That's just the, the way I think. Also, I have a... Apparently, I have a thing uh, called synesthesia, uh, which is not a disease. Uh, it's a it's a good thing, basically, but it's where uh, numbers. It's not always numbers, I think, but for me, it's numbers uh, are sometimes for people they're like shapes or their colors mm-hmm. or their music or something. You know, like I think Stevie Wonder has this in, in that he he hears music and he sees colors or something. Right. Uh, right. And uh, so for me, when I think of numbers, I kind of see them geographically in a space. And, and the same is true of a calendar. I mean, it's a, it's a geographic, I mean, it's a geometric object to me, I guess. So when I say, oh, June 30th, 1997, 
that's a point in the space that I'm seeing. It's right. not just numbers. That's so see, I that's think that is partially why uh, why I'm like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why don't you uh, just uh, sing the words that you had for that, Dennis? I thought they were probably good. Okay. It's quite difficult to sing and play. It's a love song. It's, it's very moving. Those are words then. No, I'm just getting into it. I'll just start again. Quiet. Oh. I shall not be well, Quiet. Be quiet. It's very status. Bad well, dreams it? are keeping me awake at night. Bad dreams. I think I'm gonna turn on the light. Bad dreams. Wish that they go away. Bad dreams. Here comes the beast again. That's nice. What? Nightmare into me all night long. Nightmare into this strong. Some words there, obviously. I'll start again. But I mean, you get to put it to this kind of great, great use because it's one of these underappreciated things. I've I've started like trying to meet as many comedy archivists as I can. There are not a lot of them out there because they're some you know comics or other people who do stuff in comedy who don't necessarily see the need to archive their stuff. Uh, some people just have a just a storage facility just sitting somewhere that's not necessarily sorted and organized. But then I meet people like yourself who I probably share the same thing that I do, whereas like if I see something that's disorganized and it's important, or at least I perceive it to be important, I have to organize it. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, so I went out to uh, – well, you know, every, every week now there are archive episodes – of old Dr. Demento shows that get posted on his website. Yeah. So that uh, is, I mean, I'm kind of the impetus for that because uh, I, I went out there, I've been out there several times, but um, when I went out there in 2003, one of my main things that I wanted to do was take stock of what air checks he had. So I had barely heard any of the live shows that okay. he did on KM. And uh, actually, someone was offering to sell me a bunch of live shows. And normally, I had just done tape trading before that. And I, I, I felt a little, I felt like, don't you want to just trade for things that I have? I, I right. don't want to pay a whole bunch of money for this. It feels wrong to me. Plus, I think he has this anyway. Um, so I thought, well, let me find out exactly what he has. And whatever he doesn't have, I can buy. Right, right. Well, it was not nearly as organized as I had expected it would be, <laughs> and there's a lot missing. And so there's, there were several bankers' boxes full of cassettes with no apparent order to them. Oh, I, no. I don't really know. Uh, you know, I, I, they must have been in, in some order at some point, and they were in a, I think, in a dresser or a chest of drawers or something at one house, and then he ended up pulling them out and throwing them in a box when he was moving, I think, is what happened. It's something like that. And... Uh, so I took all these boxes back to my hotel room and dumped them out all over the bed, all over the floor, and started putting things, uh, you know, sorting them by year and then yeah. by month and then by date and marking off, here's what we have and here's what we don't have, you know. And so I still have those same sheets of paper from 2003 uh, that I refer to uh, when we're trying to come up with, you know, people will request, well, I, I want to hear this show, and then I have to look up, well, uh, what, do we have that or not? You know, uh, or right. just what what haven't we posted? Uh, I, uh, 
we've posted from this year, but we haven't posted from this month of this year, so maybe we want to do something from that month or something just to kind of get a, a variety. Wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of stuff, like, again, it's the kind of, like, the minutia-filled part. But, I mean, it's got to be satisfied, satisfying, pardon me, it's got to be satisfying putting that stuff back together, especially for somebody. Like, it, it always it, it always amazes me when somebody knows they need their stuff organized and just doesn't do it because it's not how they are. They're like, no, I just, I'm going to make my stuff, I'll put it in this pile, eventually I'll find somebody to fix it for me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that was what was in his mind sure. or, or it, it was just, you know, I'm sure, it's, well, a lot of it is just a time thing, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've got a lot of disorganized stuff around my house that I, I know how to organize it, but, geez, uh, it's just not the priority right now. So there was no priority in 2003 and before there, he had no reason to need to organize those uh, KMET air checks. What was he going to use them for? And it was the rare occasion where he would use an excerpt of an interview on a retrospective show. Sure, okay. That makes sense. But in general, he had no immediate use for them. He didn't want to get rid of them, but there was no streaming on the web or anything for, for his show at that time. Uh, or not from his site, let's say. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't a project that he was interested in. So I had a reason to want to uh, you know, do that, and then it was several years down the road where he started putting episodes on his site, and originally it was just the syndicated episodes, and I kind of encouraged, I was like, you know, we we could put some of these KMET shows on there as well, uh, and it would take some, some work to edit them together, but I think people would enjoy it, and I think people really really enjoy it actually so oh yeah abs- absolutely now did did you did you have a love of comedy that drew you to him or did he kind of blow up your world of comedy or was it kind of a combination of both <laughs> okay uh well if you want the whole history of that i guess um i mean i uh, i mean i liked comedy i liked weird al uh but uh i first heard her uh weird al i think May 18th of 1984, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I remember correctly, and, uh, which was Eat It, uh, on, a, on a school bus returning from a camping trip. And th- th- the whole time we were on the trip, people had been telling me about this song. Oh, yeah, okay. And, and I was excited to actually hear it on the way back. And uh, so I did I did like Weird Al. I didn't collect records. Uh, I just had, you know, kitty records that everybody would have, Bugs Bunny or, or whatever. Uh, but I didn't buy or collect records at that time sure uh and i hadn't heard i didn't go listen to his albums or anything i just occasionally heard weird al on the radio or mm-hmm. something. my dad was uh or is uh, you know, a fan of spike jones and stan freeberg and he had some records of them and in uh in uh 80, 85 or 86 I, you know, I, we actually figured out recently which year it was, and now I've forgotten. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think it was 85. But anyway, uh, one of those years, uh, he bought the Dr. Demento Presents the Greatest Novelty Records of All Time, Volume 6, Christmas okay, yeah. album. All right, neither of us had ever heard of Dr. Demento. Uh, but it had several tracks on it, like I Used Going Up to Christmas, uh, and some Stan Freeberg tracks and uh, so forth that he knew 
and he thought were great, so he wanted to have that, and he wanted us to listen to it, well, we, which we did, and, and we thought it was great, and Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer was on there, which at that time was a recent hit, I mean, mm-hmm. it was only a year or two old, it, the hit version of it was only a year or two old uh-huh. uh, by the time we got that, and I was I was kind of floored that we had that current of a record in our house, <laughs> because <laughs> all of their records are like old 50s and 60s uh, LPs, you know, mm-hmm. um, so anyway... So I, I, I knew of this Dr. Demento. I believe it was 86 now that I think about it. But uh, I knew of this Dr. Demento just from that, and I I must have read the liner notes to know that there was a show, a radio show, but I didn't search it out. And I just I stumbled on it uh, August 9th of 87 while I was trying to do my homework. Uh, it was on one of the top 40 stations there, and I was just hooked from that point on. So, uh, I mean, I liked comedy but it's not like i was a comedy record fanatic or anything sure. before that yeah that's crazy i'm I, i'm just very quickly i was just scanning through dmdb.org and looking at uh that's a you, great site yeah it absolutely is um <laughs> <laughs> but uh just this quick page it's got a few uh things just from your own life including a photo of your great uncle playing with spike jones Holy cow. Oh, yes, there is that. Yes, actually, he just had his 100th birthday last month. Holy cow. Yeah. Happy birthday. Holy cow. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's 1951. That's, that's a, a cool photo. That photo was there at the, uh, at the 100th birthday party, actually. They had that on display. That's so good. Um, so, yeah, that was just a, he was in the house band for uh, WHAS, uh-huh. which is a station in Louisville, still around, AM. 840, and, but they uh, were a, a pretty much a, a powerhouse station at that time. I think they had one of the strongest signals, and I think they could reach to Texas or something, uh, you know, back in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably still do, I guess. I, I don't I would imagine, I know, yeah. But, <laughs> uh, uh, so so just, he was in the house band, and, and Spike, uh, I think Spike actually stopped by there three times, and thanks to... Uh, Ted Herring, who's a big Spike Jones collector, uh, we were able to figure out which of the three appearances that picture was from. Uh, because oh, okay. Of the, the, something in the background that says, I think, Ladies' Day or something like that, which cinched which one it was. That's great. Um, man, and so and so, why, of all the stuff you've you've heard over the years through through Dr. Demento, why does bad news still sort of stick out to you? Yeah, exactly. Good question, because he's only played them one time. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and he's only played them one time, and and one of their least funny tracks is the one that he played, right? <laughs> so uh, I, I think I mentioned earlier, it's one of very few records that I think absolutely every time, I'm pretty sure every time I've heard it, I laugh. And the other record, uh, the OK Laughing record, I think, is in that category. I'm pretty sure I've never heard that without laughing. Okay. Uh, and possibly the old Paola Roll Blues by Stan Freeberg, where he says, uh, "Oh, something wrong. Oh, uh, I don't. Uh, oh, you don't have a teenage idol. Oh, wait here, I'll get one. <laughs> <laughs> there are a dime a dozen. Yeah, I'll just walk out and get one. I'll be right back." <laughs> um, so uh, it just it just is hilarious to me, and uh, you know. Uh, the way they the way they bicker back and forth, I guess, and 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 just all the little, 
you, you know, sometimes you just say, I listen to it in headphones most of the time, and you hear all these little asides that they make, and mm-hmm. it just struck me as hilarious when I first got it, and, uh, you know, it just, it's been with me ever since. I, I, you know, I think I got it in late 89 or early 90, you know, not very long after I heard it on the show, and it probably wasn't in print for very long, actually. Sure. The Rhino version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to go down the... I, I don't know if you... I know you said you had some notes. Did you want to talk about this track by track? Some people are cool with that. Some people, not necessarily, but we could. Well, I made notes track by track. Let's so. do it. Let's do it. Let's start... Okay, so let's start out with number one. Uh, and we're going off the LP, right? So I'm not going... I will ignore these ones that, that it says are CD only because you only sent me the LP ones. Yeah, I didn't send you those purposely because Thank I wanted you, yeah. you to just have the LP. There's just two CD bonus tracks there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is so, just to just to clarify, this is a mix then of probably the bootleg and the other release and like the the bootleg stuff. So it starts off with uh, a rehearsal, quote unquote, called "Bad Dreams Rehearsal." It's a five minute track, right? And there's also and, and "Cashing In on Christmas" wasn't on either of those albums. I think that's a single only track that they added on here. Okay, and there may be other sources for this because the album says the first two tracks are produced by somebody else. So I'm I'm not positive if they were from something else interesting i don't know where everything comes from and i wish i did yeah uh, but yeah so yeah it starts off with with bad dreams rehearsal and there's, there's never a a non-rehearsal of bad dreams there's never like a full run through of this bad dreams it's apparently a song that uh that he's just uh working on you know and it's just a inept songwriting and an inept performance and instantly they're bickering with each other and, and just making fun of each other about you know this this horrible song, and uh, um, and, and they're, they're putting a lot of work on this first. One of the things is uh, is Colin had this scream, <laughs> and he wants you, he, he wants everybody to hear this particular scream, and so he, they keep doing, going over it again and again and again until he can get the scream right. So they're putting all this work into something that's so minor, and then when you finally hear the scream, it's really bad. <laughs> it's not, not frightening or anything you know they they think of themselves as this metal band that's like all about uh you know dark subjects or whatever but Mm -hmm. then throughout the album there's so much reality hitting them uh, which we'll get to on the next track i guess but uh you know it's so so backwards to what you would perceive yeah uh, of a metal band to be about i guess yeah, they get they get kind of caught up appropriately enough on on the hook, and then like I I do really like listening to them improvising together, sound like trying to sound out. Oh yeah, I can sing along with this, and then getting the words wrong. It's like that little kind of stuff is, that's yeah, priceless. Yeah, and this there is, you know, and I'm I just bought this album not knowing anything about these guys except that one song, and then I'm so I'm listening to all these different voices and trying to figure out who's who. Mm-hmm. And, it took me a while because there's occasions on the album where one of them will imitate one of the others. <laughs> so then I get confused as to who's who. I know who's who now, but it took me several listens to figure it out. And then on this one, I think it's on this track, he actually refers to Vim Fuego as Alan <laughs> one time, which is his real name. <laughs> and and I, maybe he corrects him or something, but uh, anyway... And then we got uh, we got track two, which is just entitled AGM. Yeah, AGM, which is not a term that I've ever heard elsewhere, but my assumption is that it stands for all group meeting. Mm, yep. Okay, that makes sense. Oh. So they're having a meeting. So first of all, that that 
that's funny enough, I guess, to start with. Just that a metal band has got to. You just think that they're just they're just together and they just play and they just do whatever. But they're having this formal meeting and then yeah. they're calling to order and they're like trying to follow Robert's rules of of uh, order or whatever. Uh, and uh, and it's and then one one of them says, "Well, why 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 do why are we having?" Uh, these meetings every week. I thought it was just supposed to be annual. And another one says, I thought it was every day. Like, <laughs> nobody knows what's going on. It's it's very uh, it's very young ones of them actually. It kind of makes me think of when they would have like a, a house meeting on the young ones too. Okay. See, I have only seen a few minutes of the young ones. Mm-hmm. I really don't know the young ones and I really should get into that because I know all these people or at least some of these people were on the young ones, I'm mm-hmm. sure. I would love it. Uh, so that's okay. That's interesting that they uh, they used that again. Yeah, kind of. It, it's 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 at least similar. Just like this bunch of friggin' misfits trying to actually organize stuff, just under you know, but under this guise of like, oh, we're really gonna take care of some shit. But they're just totally inept. Okay. Yes, that's very much what this is. Yes. Okay. I'm glad to I'm glad to know that. Um, and. Uh, and then, uh, well, then they have they have the, the one of them farts, and then they they say, "Open a window." Oh, when we're in a windowless void. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some some of it's just how how they will phrase things. You know, yeah. like the like in a in a, in maybe a somewhat elitist manner, hoity-toity kind of phrasing for something that is very uh, juvenile or something. Right. Uh, that they will say, and then, but so then the interesting thing to, so Monty Python fans will remember the Crunchy Frog bit, right? Yep. And the the title of that and what it's a play, uh, the title of the that on the original album is Trade Description Act, and that's a apparently a real law in Britain, or at least was at the time. And I've not really looked at the exact details, but what I gather from these comedy bits is that it basically says that whatever you're calling your business or your product has to uh, accurately reflect what it okay, is. Okay, sure. And can't just be some uh, name that misleads the public. Sure, makes sense. And so that's so they talk about that here because they're trying to title the album. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, one of them wants to call it Satan Ate My Knob. <laughs> <laughs> which, first of all, I, I, which is a British slang for penis, I think, but mm-hmm. I didn't... It took me a lot of listens to this to figure out what all these slang terms sure, yeah. were. Sure, yeah. It's all foreign to me, and so and they said, well, because of the trade description act, you can't say it because Satan has not actually eaten your. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same the same thing that they're playing off of in the Monty Python sketch, uh, you know. And then they they they, they say, well, then then, then uh, what what about Satan ate my head? You know, then it's not obscene. And you're like, well, it's still he hasn't eaten your head, so you can't do that. <laughs> you can't call it that. Uh, and. But then what confuses me a little bit, so then they, uh, well, they, they mention a Black Sabbath uh, album, that they, or, or what they thought was a Black Sabbath, they call them the Sabs, which is funny. <laughs> uh, but then they, they're trying to think of, well, what are good titles that other bands have had? And they come up with Slippery When Wet. Well, that's a, a Bon yeah. Jovi album that I think came out in 87. I could look it up, but yeah, it's around Yeah, it was a lot that, after this. I thought that this original thing was 83, but then the bootleg was 87, but supposedly of the 83 recording sessions. So then if that's the case, that doesn't fit at all. But, you know, I don't know what the exact chronology of all this is. So. Yeah. 
That's funny. Anyway, and they do mention Brian uh, in that track as, uh, as well, Brian May. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then we've got Introducing the Band. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's one where De- for Den, uh, who is the uh, rhythm guitarist, is filling in for Spider Webb, the drummer, because Spider's not there. So uh, that's, you know, that started, that's one of the places where I got confused. I'm, wait a minute, which voice is which here? Uh, and then I finally realized, okay, I see, he's, uh, you know, he's just imitating him and making fun of him. And they're all making fun of each other and, and imitating each other. Mm-hmm. One, one of the, one of the uh, I think it's Vim who, who plays this really long guitar piece uh, and he says, I let my guitar speak for me. And then someone in the background says, that's because you're incoherent most of the time. <laughs> I, uh, I like that premise of, of uh, the idea that, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're pretending to be somebody else as though like you're familiar enough with the characters that you would know somebody's imitating. Like they, they're fully aware that they're not, you know, like obviously we're not a real band. But the idea that, right. like, you're, the, the premise, the, you know, the conceit is, oh, everybody knows who these guys are, so they can mess around, and you'll know that they're imitating, and you'll be in on the joke. And I just like that there's that kind of meta level to it, where, no, you would have, you're just confused. And I think that's intentional. I, I kind of like that. Hello. My name's Colin Crickson. I play bass guitar for Bad News. My favorite color's blue, and my favorite kind of music is heavy metal music. Hello. My name is Dan Dennis. I play the rhythm guitar in Bad News. My favourite food is curry because it's open late at night. My name is Vim Fuego. you're incoherent most of the time hello my name is spider web i am the drummer in bad news do i have to do this just because he didn't turn up yes just say that you can't play the drums and you're a complete toss face i can't play the drums and i'm a complete toss face well that, that, that part i don't know how well known they were in britain uh i think they had actually played a show and I I think you know they might have been known a little bit. Yeah, right. Uh, by the time that second bootleg album came out, I mean they had to have been known somewhat off of the first EP in order to even bother making exactly, that bootleg right, album. right, right. You know, so, but I don't know exactly uh, how known they were or are. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and uh, the next one is is bad news, which is the first actual. News, the self-titled uh, track, and that's an actual song for mm-hmm. once. We finally, <laughs> after three tracks of just kind of messing around, <laughs> the album finally hits you know a real song. Uh, and then the the best part of that is uh, everybody does an instrumental break, which are all announced, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the the lead guitar break. Oh, it's great. Well, it's great because it's lifted from a Led Zeppelin record. <laughs> it's just the exact recording. <laughs> that is Off brilliant. of there, so. 
And is am I am I wrong in that one of them has to be reminded to do his solo, like screamed at to do? Oh his... yeah, that's right too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I forget which way. I, it might have been the bass player or something. He's like, uh, or maybe it's maybe it's. I think he's, no, I think it's the rhythm guitar. He's like, Dan, I, yeah, <laughs> it's your break, you know. <laughs> And then uh, the next two are both, I mean, they're both, one's called Hey Mr. Ba- Bassman and Hey Mr. Drummer. Yeah, and I, and I don't know for sure if all of these titles on here match the titles on the original British releases or not. Oh, okay. I, I, I think some of these might have been cut up from other tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not 100% sure. I would love to have everything that they've ever put out and know this whole chronology. Yeah, yeah. And there might be a Wikipedia article out there that will explain it to me, but... I haven't gone through it. So, but hey, Mr. Bass Band is another you know example of of inept playing. But then, then you find out there's further uh, pretending going on because uh, then Dennis says that accidentally says that he's 38, and then he's like, oh no no no, I mean 17. <laughs> <laughs> like they're trying to be this young metal band, but they're actually these aging uh, wannabe pop stars or whatever. Uh, and and that's also where I learned the ex- the British slang of nappy, which oh, is right. a diaper, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and uh, you know, I, again, I had to listen to that several times uh, to finally understand what that was about. Because uh, <laughs> I think that's the one where he's saying, he's saying, every time I sing "Eat My Brain," my rectum seems to prolapse. Oh my God, that's amazing! Yeah. And then, hey, Mr. Drummer, that's one of my favorite parts. Uh, is so Colin, the bass player, is trying to do this this bass run. So it's like an overdub session where they're adding bass mm-hmm. onto a track. And uh, <laughs> he says, he says, you know, it's supposed to go but the the but the the bang bang. <laughs> and, and and he says, oh, I went but it like a few. He says, the first time I went rumpty dumpty. <laughs> now how do you play a bass that goes rumpty dumpty? I don't know. <laughs> but then the last, the other than that, I went but it like a fury. You know. <laughs> And then then he gets frustrated. He's like, we've been through this one and a half times. <laughs> <laughs> As if it's, you know, uh, hours on end. God, if, if this stuff is improv, like that kind of, that is, that's just gold. And I, I, I wish it I knew is. more, you know, like I, I wish I knew more about their, I, I pride myself on knowing and loving a lot of English comedy, but this is a period where I'm just totally out of the loop. Yeah. And I would—I assume all these guys are still around, and they—they've you know, probably done a lot of other stuff. And I don't know if anybody—somebody must have interviewed them at some point about this, because to me, this is just so hilarious. I'd love to talk to these guys and understand how this all came about. You know. I know. I want to—the only one who's uh, Rick Mayall passed away very young, like I think last year. But the rest of them are oh, all still okay. around and doing stuff. But yeah, he—it was—I don't remember what it was from, but it was real. He's the only fifty-six or something, so super young. And but the rest of them are all still around and directing and acting and stuff. But they're you know like uh, yeah I w- I would after listening to this I would I want to know more about the history of it because it was done for I guess I didn't I we didn't mention this but it was originally done for um, uh, comic strip presents uh, over in England which is oh I, that's, a lot I, of stuff. I I have heard that and I totally forgot about that 
yeah yeah so that's that's i mean that's launched not just a lot of stars but a lot of like projects a lot of characters because over there man like you can you can create a character in one venue and and bring it to another like another tv show it's it's a very different environment for comedy over there yeah and on actually on the uh on the inside uh of the gatefold there is a uh Vim uh, has a shirt that talks about bad news performing at the Hammersmith uh, November 9th of 1986. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that was an actual show. I think they did at least one actual show, I think. There is there's one live recording on here uh I don't know if it's really live though. It might have just been fake, but I think they did do at least one live performance out of this. That's awesome. Ah, man, that that see that and that was the other thing too. I guess I didn't even think about. Oh, they're probably if if that happened, they're probably all at least competently playing their their instruments because, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've, I haven't seen the video footage, so I don't know, you know, how if if they're comparable to like how well the guys in Spinal Tap can play. But I have to assume so. Right, that is a good question. Uh, it is my assumption that they are the ones playing the instruments on here because there are no credits saying otherwise, but Mm -hmm. I don't know that for a fact. Yeah. 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 Um, A lot of comedians are, you know, frustrated musicians on the side or whatever. Right. Exactly. Um, and if, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just, I was already going to skip to the next track, but what what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I don't know if you've heard, uh, the Dr. Demento interview with the guys from Spinal Tap, uh, when that was coming out, but they did talk about them playing an actual show and not telling anybody who they were, you know, just <laughs> dressed up in their metal gear and, and just seeing if they could pull it off. Yeah. Uh, and they did. So that's so good. Uh, yeah. the next one, like this has got, this is one of the, this is one of the, my favorite titles of a song ever. And that title is master bike. <laughs> <laughs> master bike yeah and there's actually on the on the ends on the lyric insert here there's a there's a picture of the master bike uh <laughs> oh, no. so uh you may want to look up it's just a little drawing uh but it's obviously a penis shaped bike with him riding on the <laughs> on the penis with the it looks like it's a three-wheeled bike but Holy uh, shit. <laughs> much longer than it is wide so <laughs> and that's yeah that's another actual song and uh it's uh you know, it's just like uh, n- nothing. It's just throwaway kind of lyrics. You know, well, it has the the. Uh, uh, eat, I think "Eat My Brain" is in there. <laughs> eat my brain, go insane. You know, and uh, just uh, just them trying to present themselves as seriously uh, metal. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's I I I don't find the the songs as hilarious as you know, the spoken bits. So, uh, it's, it's not a song that I would just play to, you know, rock out to or whatever, right. or to laugh. I just hear it in the context of the album myself. Um, but it's, it, I mean, it's a, it's a funny title, but to me, it's not a absolutely, uh, hilarious song or anything. Right. It, it's one of those things where I feel like if, if you do these songs that aren't necessarily super crazy over the top funny it's that's the thing that lends this reality to your insane improv comedy shit in between it you know yes 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 because this is what they're working on they're trying to cut they, they think that they're working on these you know supreme 
best metal whatever, you know, like they're going to be Def Leppard or, or whatever, and they're going to spend months in the studio working up these perfect things, and here's what you come out with is Master Bike. <laughs> <laughs> in their minds, that is, in their characters' minds, that is, you know, uh, just a, a, a great metal track that everybody's going to love, you know. <laughs> Because Collins overdubbed my guitar. <laughs> 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 but, you know, 
goodness, he's made it made it feel made it better by doing that. Um, uh, uh, well, yeah, he he said, oh, "What would you think if if I overdub your guitar?" He said, "Well, it's obvious. We'd all think it was crap, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, he can't play the guitar." And uh, and uh, he said, "Well, you know, I only had about twenty takes at it." And the other one says, "Yeah, per day." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, well, you know, if I kept going, I would have gotten it." <laughs> and so I don't know if you know this, but I also have a recording studio, so uh, I'm also a recording engineer. So I have had I have had a guy do like uh, over the course of two days uh, over twenty takes a day on on a guitar solo. Oh my god! Time. So I do know what that's about. Uh, but also, I did have a recording session uh, in uh, it was either late '94 or early '95, where the producer uh, overdubbed. I think it was the bass, actually. <laughs> it was either the bass or the guitar. After the the musician who played it had left or had gone on a break or something, he, he's like, he's not doing it right. I'm gonna fix it, <laughs> you know. Wow. And I don't know if the guy ever knew for sure whether whether that had happened or not. But it's like, I, but I know all about this. Funny enough. And uh, but there's a, there's times that I have been in sessions and I've wanted to have sound bites from this album available because <laughs> <laughs> I want to throw them in because on on Hey Mr Drummer there's there's a, a, a thing where uh, you know one of I think Vim Vim says to Colin uh, you know that really fucking moronic bass line that you do <laughs> <laughs> which is insulting enough and Colin says which one <laughs> which moronic bass line That's you brilliant. Know? And I just want to drop that in sometimes. Uh, so anyway, uh, so and that's the end of side one on yeah. the uh, LP version. Uh, Is there any kind so of uh, transition to the other side, or or no? Yeah, sure. Oh uh, no, I mean on the actual record, is there any transition, or is it just cut? Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, no, it just that cut track kind of runs out with some talking. Uh, and then side two starts off with an actual song, Drink Till I Die. It's another one of the actual songs that I think was on that original uh, six-track EP mm-hmm. uh, in England. And uh, so, uh, but then but then that segs into some more discussion mm-hmm. <laughs> to where Colin doesn't, he's, he's complaining about how, non-productive they are like how how many hours we've been in the studio and we've not gotten anything accomplished you know and, and he says you know something about it we've been here since whatever eight in the morning and now it's two in the afternoon and somebody's like no it's it's two in the morning actually <laughs> the next day and and then and then says you know i keep maintaining that we would do better if we were to plug the guitars in and play them <laughs> maybe we would get something accomplished <laughs> they really pull off some of the goofiest stuff to just with the they're very uh, there's just something magnetic about listening to the way these guys talk too. It is to me. I just I just die laughing. <laughs> <laughs> uh the next track after that one was called Vim is Angry. The next one's called Hey Hey Bad News. Uh yeah, yeah, Vim is Angry is more argument and and cussing going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, hey, hey, bad news is another actual song. That's the one that it's apparently live. They want you to think it's live. Okay. I'm, I'm sure that it's at least partially studio. And I had to listen to it several times before I figured out what. So they have a crowd that they. So so the 
the chorus is, hey, hey, bad news, and they want the, uh, the crowd to respond, hey, hey, bad news. But the crowd responds, fuck off, bad news. Because <laughs> they don't like them, you know. And it, but it, 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 being that it's a lot of people saying it at once, sometimes it's hard to tell what a, a yeah. crowd is chanting. It took me several <laughs> listens to figure out uh, what, what they were actually doing. I doubt that that is the actual live performance that they did. Right. Uh, but that's a take on that. So. <laughs> that is brilliant. Um, yeah. The next one's called Warriors of Genghis Khan. Of Genghis Khan, so that's another actual song and another very metal thing that they would think of doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so <laughs> there's a whole thing. So the the lyric insert that comes with the album uh, of the six songs are written out uh, by Vim, who who also puts the credits. Like here, he says, "Written, composed, arranged by Sitar Break by Played, almost everything on by Vim Fueco." <laughs> <laughs> he wants to assert that he is that guy you know the the main guy in it but then over to the side <laughs> over to the side uh uh somebody wrote uh colin i guess colin wrote uh fantastic lyrics vim and you just you just feel the sarcasm <laughs> in in what he's saying here about the lyrics of the song so vim writes this whole diatribe oh thanks for the constructive criticism colin you know it it, it may interest you to know that during one of my many uh, encounters with the world beyond the grave i showed the song to john lennon and he said that it was better than anything he'd ever written <laughs> and elvis presley was really keen to sing it and Jimi hendrix just set, said set fire to your guitar vim as usual <laughs> <laughs> so this whole lyric sheet is a whole other experience so beyond good. the album where there's still bantering back and forth uh, you know about everything <laughs> Uh, just more more of the same i guess yeah that is one thing uh that i i find like i love the resurgence of of vinyl comedy but i i'm not seeing a whole lot of like i know it costs a lot more to do that now but like not as much interactive stuff and again it's probably just cost but uh you know even just like you said like just a lyric sheet or even like a pullout because a lot of my favorite albums have like a nice a pullout or, you know, Monty Python's instant record collection is probably the standout of them all that turns into a cube oh, yeah. of fake records, yes. you know, like, yeah, the cool one. Yeah. yeah there's lots of stuff like that. Mostly from the seventies, I would say sure. probably when, when that hit its peak and, uh, it had to cost more to do that even in the seventies, Sure, but yeah, now it would cost even more because there's a lower print run. So, you know, when you go on a per, you know, the more you make of something, the cheaper it is to do it, right? So right, exactly. I think that's one of those things too. Where it, it's funny, I've got a Google News alert that's uh, that's for comedy albums, that's for vinyl, that's for com- like just 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 to see. And what's great is every single day there's some local paper announcing the comeback of vinyl, and there has been since I've had that Google News alert, just because people are just becoming aware of it in certain parts of the country. Uh, but it is it is interesting. Like, yes, they're making more money than they've made in like decades but it, it I, I would imagine per artist they're still like they're still like probably struggling to break even on those yeah i don't know you know the all the economics behind it <clears throat> i know i've been surprised to see some recent stand-up comedy on vinyl yeah uh and even for reasonable prices sometimes i know like uh, george lopez had an album a, a few years ago it was only 10 bucks which that's crazy in the 80s would be slightly expensive, I guess, for an LP, but these days is darn cheap for yeah, an LP. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, like, I mean, I know that every once in a while, um, 
uh, um, boy, oh boy, my brain just totally stopped. I know that Stand Up Records does it, uh, and I uh, and they they'll re-release some stuff on vinyl. Then there's a special thing, and they'll do special releases on vinyl. But again, it's it's not, ten bucks. That's crazy cheap. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, so our next track uh, is Bohemian Rhapsody, which my God, I love Queen so much, and I love them more knowing that this was produced. This like garbage take on Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> is produced by Brian May. It's so brilliant. Yes. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they're trying to do a fairly straight cover in in their estimation, you know. Right. Uh, in their minds, I guess. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty messed up. And there is a video to go with it uh, as well. And then at the end, uh, uh, Vim, I think it is, mumbles in the background, uh, or well, one of, one of them says it was great, or something, and one of them says, "Yeah, blow Queen off the fucking stage." <laughs> <laughs> Although in the video he just says, "Blow Queen off the stage." Of course, they edited that sure, out. Sure, sure, sure. That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's pretty good. Um, and then next we, and I wish I'd actually heard "Cashing In on Christmas" because that's the next track, and it's the thing that got you, at the very least, curious about them. Right. And so there's nothing, uh, there's nothing uh, nasty about that track or anything, because that was that was an actual single uh, that they made for radio play, and uh, so it doesn't have any obscenities on it, unlike almost every other track on the album. <laughs> uh, and it's just a you know a, a catchy little pop song. But I guess what got me about it was at that time uh, in 1989, I wasn't aware, at least, of that many cynical Christmas songs. I mm-hmm. mean. You know, there's Tom Lehrer's The Christmas Carol sure. from the 50s, uh, of course, and, and there's several others. And, you know, of course, I'd heard some on Dr. Demento. And, of course, there's lots of funny Christmas songs, but ones that actually uh, looked more cynically at it. So so their whole thing is buy our single uh, so that we make a lot of money, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. then our Christmas will be great. <laughs> <laughs> and they even have... In there, there's a break where there's a there's like a a little girl that they have on there, and she she says, "I really want bad news this Christmas single for my Christmas stocking. It only costs just over a pound, you know." <laughs> <laughs> Making a plea to parents to just buy the single, you know. That's so good. Uh, and then uh, you know, Colin I think comes on and says, "You know, well, we hope you enjoy your Christmas. So you know, we're going to be off in uh, Jamaica or wherever it is, spending your money, but." Uh, <laughs> I hope you have a good time. Merry Christmas, you know. So uh, I guess that's what what got me about it. It just was it seemed a, a little uh, beyond other things that I'd heard, and it was a catchy enough song. Sure. Um, and I forget, you know, I should have I should have listened to that show. I should have listened to that episode to see what he said about them. Uh, you know, he must have given a little bit of background on them, and uh, I should re-listen to that just to see. What, if he said anything in particular that that grabbed me more than just the song that made me want to go buy the record. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to know, and if if if, if there's a clip available, it'd be kind of great to hear because it would be really fascinating. Yeah. Well, okay, I can do that. Uh, let me make a note here. That'd be awesome. Eighty nine forty eight. Yeah. Um, so, uh, because it, it it is a record on Rhino and and uh, there's a lot of comedy stuff. On Rhino, and sure. I later became a Rhino collector to where I have almost every record that Rhino's ever put out, wow. almost every LP. 
not every CD, but almost every LP, 45, any sort of vinyl release. That's crazy. Uh, as far as from their original run in, in the 70s and 80s, I think I'm only missing about half a dozen or so. Wow. Uh, but I didn't buy this for that reason because this was before I got into that. But I was happy to have it because I don't think it's one that you see very often. <laughs> At least from my experience, I've never once seen it. And if I had, it would have reminded me that I knew it existed, but I only knew it like just from like, like I said, just spare research here and there when I was reading something about the Ruddles or about uh, Spinal Tap. Right, 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 right. And uh, yeah, I ran across the CD. You know, I, I bought it on LP at the time. Um, I had just gotten a CD player, actually, uh, and I was not buying very many CDs. But uh, then I ran across a CD, I believe it was in April of 95, at a, uh, at a used record store at, uh, around the corner of Hayton Ashbury in San Francisco, mm-hmm. <laughs> of all places. Uh, and so then I, and it was only at that point, I think, that I realized that the CD even had bonus tracks. So I was like, oh, geez, I've got to buy this for sure, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That right up. And I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen the CD again, actually. <laughs> not that I've looked for it because sure. I have it, but you know, generally I would have I would have run into it. Uh, you would, I mean, I would have. I think I would remember if I'd run into it. Right, right. I mean, that being that important of an album, I, th- that's what's interesting about this to me, though, is that it, it it does start with a an interesting track, but not necessarily even your favorite at all. But that 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 little curiosity bloomed into oh nope, this is this is like. Not only is it's like it's your favorite, uh, it's it holds up, but like it does perfectly symbolize like the beginning of this different part of your life, and that's kind of awesome to have that. I mean, you're very good at keeping track of things, but to also like you still have this this one album that is still set aside as this this key this marker for you, and that's that's really awesome because I can never remember what my first comedy album was. I can I can sort of guess, but. Uh, I think it was a Billy Connolly album, but like, you know, like I trust your memory to the point where I think, yeah, no, this is absolutely, yeah, this is the first, I wouldn't, I, you know, it's so great. Cause like, I'm listening to you say things where you're like, well, you know, Dr. Demento's never played this before. And normally my question would be like, well, how do you know that? But I'm like, no, you know, this, this guy knows a hundred percent. He's only played the song once and it's, 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 it's uh, reassuring. Um, um, okay. So we got, I did check yeah. that before. And actually, uh, this is not the first comedy record I've, but, but this is, if you want to know, this is uh, LP number 30 mm-hmm. in my collection. Yeah. <laughs> because I actually have a list in the order I bought them. 
That's amazing. Oh, my God. Of everything I have. And that's counting the six records in the Dr. Demento 6LP set as six records, but it's counting that show of 89.53, which was the funny 25 of that year, as just one. So actually, that tells me that this was early 1990 when I got it because it was several after that. But most of what I have before that, I have Weird Al, Dr. Demento, uh, Alan Sherman, Stan Freeberg. Actually, that Stan Freeberg is actually—that's actually my dad. So maybe this should count as number twenty-nine. Uh, Tom Lehrer, definitely, and Monty Python. Mm-hmm. I think this is anyway. This is like that scene in High Fidelity where he's organizing everything autobiographically. That sounds comforting. Yeah, like that's one of my favorite bits in that whole movie. Yeah, where he starts organizing (laughs) his records in that order, right? Uh The order he bought them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, but I have to know that I got it in the summer of blah 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 pile, and like he know it's all autobiographical, which would be chronological, but it's really oh god, it's hilarious. But that's and it's not important to anyone but him. Yeah, right, right. And it's the same way with this, but my, I have a, a, what I call a database, but it's really just a text file that lists every record I have, and it's in the order I bought them. And that doesn't make sense to anybody else but me, but I, and I will refer to that, and I'm like, okay, when did I get that? Okay, yeah, it was between that and that. Okay, yeah, you know, and it means something to me. And yeah. That, and I did used to, when I first started collecting records, I used to store them in that same order. But once I got past a few dozen or so, I was like, yeah, I need to alphabetize. Yeah, you know? that becomes the problem. Uh, I'm fully aware of that issue. Uh, <laughs> um, I have several several large stacks of unfiled records that are still more or less in the order I got them because mm-hmm. I haven't gotten around to filing them, and I can still mostly find things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can refer to this file, and I say, okay, well, that's going to be close to this record. If I know where that record is, I can find this record. So. That's so funny. Um, we've got, Crazy. we have one track left on this album, and that is Dividing Up yes. the Spoils. Yes, Dividing Up the Spoils is just a discussion that they have at the end about <laughs> the, their contracts and about the money. So, so, uh, so there, there, there's, uh, I think they got $3,000 for making the album, or it was, they mm-hmm. said. And he's like, three grand, or 3,000 pounds, I guess it would have been. Sure. At three grand, you know, you've got three grand, so, you know, and then they're deciding how to split that up. And so, of course, Vim thinks he gets most because he's the uh, lead guitarist and everything. And then, then, of course, then they mention this guy, Sharky, who I never hear of anywhere else, so I assume that's their manager. Um, and he's a shark, you know, I assume that's what sure, that means, yeah. you know. And Sharky gets, you know, so much of it. And, uh, you know, they end up with, like, uh, you know, just a few pounds each or something. And, and, and one of them, I think it's Colin, uh, Colin or Spider, I think it's Colin that uh, uh, he's like, well, you've been taking a taxi home from the studio every night because you think you're a rock star, you know, so that comes out of yours. <laughs> and uh, and then, then Dennis, he, he says, uh, you've, so you've seen the money. <laughs> like, what did it look like? <laughs> because, like <laughs> we, we've been doing all this. I have not seen any money. <laughs> God, that's brilliant. Yeah, like it's it, it's it's kind of like it, it's this uh, it's one thing that you don't get on the Spinal Tap album as much as I, I love that. Like it would be very cool on the Spinal Tap album to have the same sort of interstitial uh, stuff. That's that's the best stuff of the movie. Like the songs are great. But the uh, to be fair, though, the Spinal Tap songs are funnier. They're just meant to they're They are more of the overtop thing where, like I said, this. This this is lended lent that reality by those really just crazy songs of a bad band who thinks that their three thousand dollars is their pay their big payday. I really love that. That's how they wrap the whole thing up. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And That's uh, brilliant. I guess the other thing I would say about the album is, for me at least, I find it to be a very quotable album. Sure. You know, so many things on here are just so hilarious to me, and I'll, I think I'll, pro- I probably occasionally use them with people, but they have no idea what I'm referring to. <laughs> right. Right. But more often, they probably just run through my head, you know, mm-hmm. as something like that would be a perfect uh, thing to say in this situation or something, you know. <laughs> I wish, man, I, I have to, I, I'm jealous of your retention because there, I remember, you know, that was a thing I could do in high school better than I can now is pull up my favorite quotes from something because that's all I did. But like, you oh, know, yeah. uh, that that was kind of my life. That's why I love Cheech and Chong because I like, I made best friends over that and Weird Al, of course, but Weird Al, it's music. So you're going to remember it a little easier, but uh, it is, it is awesome to kind of have a catalog in your head of your favorite bits off of your favorite album. That's just kind of you know that's, yeah there's a lot uh, of you know quotable monty python sketches of sure course. like my roommate and i would would do certain things of course well like it's only a flesh wound is one of the yeah, of more course, popular of course, ones yeah. more obscure ones like uh the self-defense bit on the first album which you know is in one of the tv shows about uh what if a guy comes at you with a pointed stick like he's gonna train you <laughs> here's what to do if a guy comes at you with a banana here's what <laughs> and here's what he's like what about pointed sticks <laughs> We do that sometimes. Oh, God, I love that. Oh, that sketch is so good. You know what's so funny is I actually, I own that album, and I know all the sketches on it, but I've never listened to that album because I assumed I knew all the sketches, and no, nobody's ever requested to do it on the podcast, so I haven't taken the time to listen to it. Uh, but, ah. yeah, it's so funny because it's their first, and uh, yeah. is it now, I, I should, I'll just ask you real quick, are they ripped directly from the show, or are they recreated for the album? That. that I debate that. Uh, mm-hmm. I am pretty sure that they are recreated for the album, okay. but I thought I had heard some people say that they were taken from the show, and I've never played them back to back. But I, I mean, I've heard the album enough times that when I do see, I've heard the album more times than I've seen the show. Sure. And when I see the show, I feel like it's a different performance. So I, I think sense. it's different. Okay, um, that's interesting. But uh, you know, it was done for BBC Records, and for the longest time, that. That album was hard to find uh, on CD, at least. I mean, it came out in 87, but then it went away. And it's only been the past few years that I actually got a copy of that on CD myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think that the most recent box set of all their albums actually includes that one now. Oh, okay, that's good. Most of their albums are on, were on Charisma uh, or Arista over here, mm-hmm. and uh, but just not on BBC, so I guess they just didn't have the license that, to that one okay that makes or sense. whatever but 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 there, i don't think that there is anything or not anything substantial on mm-hmm. that album uh, that is not in the tv show whereas most of the rest of the albums have some things that are not from the tv show sure i mean that yeah. one i think has a little bit maybe at the beginning of side two about uh well it talks about the album being stereo which is not it's mono mm-hmm. <laughs> but like he's like, here I am in this speaker, and then he walks to the other speaker, and you can't hear him because there is no other speaker. And so I assume that that's part of the joke, mm. uh, or yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was, but they only ever released it in mono. I don't know. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> because man. if they were recording it specially for records in 1970, you would think that they would have recorded it in stereo. So that that lends credence to it being just taken off the TV soundtrack, which of course would have been mono. But sure. I don't think that. It is. Well, there's definitely that part is definitely not off the TV soundtrack, so uh-huh. I don't think it is. So um, there's another little on the on the lyric sheet at the side 
uh, you know, I guess this is, I don't know if this is supposed to be their original uh, ad mm -hmm. uh, or uh, if this is one of them asking for others, but it says wanted singer, bass player, lead guitarist, and drummer who can all write songs, and there's misspellings in here, by the way, and have own equipment, own van, and own record deal to join Rhythm Guitarist. Already world-famous band preferred. That's freaking brilliant. Oh, I don't know if that's Dan, Dan saying that, well, he's looking for another band or, or what exactly that's supposed to be. And there's another thing on here, trip, tour expenses so far, uh, fags, £5.40, of course, cigarettes, you know. Stamps nine p, so nine pence. You know, just a, just a few pennies on one stamp, apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, pet petrol, which is gasoline, right? Uh, Fourteen twenty-four and Collins watch. So apparently they had to fuel up and they didn't have enough money, so he had to trade in his watch credit towards that. And then logger, one thousand three hundred sixty-two <laughs> and seventy-nine. <laughs> I love it. And so then there's a suggestion at the bottom: maybe we should economize by not writing so many letters home. <laughs> Which is, of course, the cheapest expense on there. They're not going to dispense with the lager, the beer, you know. They <laughs> can't economize there. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> I, um, yeah. It's one of those things where I, I obviously, like, eh, this is more than recommended for people to give a, give a listen, especially if you're not English and you've never heard of it. But we do have a lot of listeners in England, and it would be really cool to get their perspective to just say, you know, I know about this ah. bit of history, you know. So I would hope you guys can write in to Jason at ComedyOnVinyl.com or Jason at StolenDress.com, whatever you want. Just write to me because I'm, I'm happy to, to read your emails even when they're mildly derisive, uh, which every once in a while will happen. <laughs> but, you know, we have a bunch – you know, I affectionately refer to my listeners as nerds because I'm a nerd and that's what we are. This is what we do. This is our – you know. So I'm absolutely fine with people picking it apart, especially if you can give us some new information. It would be good to know a bit more about the history of bad news. Um so yeah. I'd love to hear that too. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. And and then probably the English listeners will be upset that we reviewed the American album. It'd be like you know reviewing Meet the Beatles instead of With the Beatles. Oh, right, right. Chopped up, you know, and and uh, not the original way that it was intended. Uh, but it, it it's the way that I came to know it. So. Exactly, exactly. Um, do you have anything uh, that you would like to promote for yourself for Doctor Demento? Anything interesting coming up? site dmdb.org is the demented music database so that has all of the uh all the playlists of dr demento syndicated shows going all the way back to the beginning in 1974 and it also has a substantial number not yet complete it probably never will be 100 percent complete uh -huh. but hopefully one day it will be 90 something percent complete uh of uh live shows that uh, he used to do in L.A. and other places. Well, thank you so much for doing the show. This has been awesome. Oh, well, thanks for uh, inviting me, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll uh, talk again, you know. Oh, absolutely. We talked about possibly doing uh, uh, How to Speak Hip. Yes, yeah, uh, we, we, we need to do that. I, and I've been wanting to talk about it. My buddy Taylor could also do it because he, uh, he, he remastered it once and did a beautiful job uh, because it was at that point when he did it, it was almost impossible to get... 
uh, a good version of it. So you guys, you can listen to Dr. Demento at drdemento.com. Go visit uh, the database, dmdb.org, and then uh, you can check out my second book, Postmodem, The Interwebs Explained, at postmodembook.com. It's a comedic history of the internet. It's a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I'd like to know what you guys think. So thank you for joining me, Jeff. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. Vinyl.com.